Cinema Spectator, a movie podcast, is produced because of listeners like you. If you want to support our show, you can share it, give us a rating on iTunes, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions, where you can throw a couple dollars our way and get access to our exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film, It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra, starring James Stewart and Donna Reed. My name is Cameron Tuttle and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom and Juza Greenwood. Isaac, how are you doing? I wish I was never born. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, happy holidays. We're happy here, holidays. You know? We're here. Did you like how I just sprung sprung that intro on you? I just yeah, it rolled felt natural. into it. I didn't yeah. really overthink it. I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. I'm I'm going with the flow, you know. Juzo, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Enjoying the well, somewhat enjoying the holidays. It's nice that my brother's gonna be back in town tomorrow, so that's always nice. And uh yeah, just trying mm. to catch up on the ludicrous amount of movies that are being released in this last month. I, we may have talked about this last <laughs> week, but it's truly obnoxious how many movies they're putting out that I need to see uh, in theaters. But you know, why do they do that nowadays? It's been like for, it's been like that for like five years, where everything you know they'll have like the two or three summer blockbusters, but then all of the heavy hitter movies come out in the last two months. It really annoys me. Actually, must be I a mean, hacks thing. Yeah, well, it's also the awards. It's jockeying for awards. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. But there's also baffling yeah. stuff like, uh, I mean, I just, uh, I mean, to jump on what I've been watching, the, the uh, new Godzilla, Godzilla Minus One Japanese Godzilla movie. I want I to saw see that. that. I which want to see it. I think you guys would really enjoy, I thought it was really enjoyable, like a fun, old-fashioned blockbuster for being made for, what, like 20 million, 15 million? It looks very good. Um, it doesn't look like a cheap yeah. movie. Um and I'm just like, I wish this shouldn't this have come out in like August or sometime where it's there was like nothing and we could have used a fun summer blockbuster because this certainly was more fun than almost any other. True. Frankly, even more fun than Guardians Three, which was great but was like the most depressing movie ever made. Um, so I mean, it was it's a it's definitely a recommendation for me. But then it's like it's hard to recommend anything because then at the same time there's all this stuff like the holdovers, all, all these other great movies coming out at the same time so you know little little bit overwhelming yeah no i i definitely want to see godzilla minus one um people have been raving about it for a while and it's become one of those like uh, one of those sort of parasite like movies where the word of mouth has become so strong that like now a lot of people are are, are going to see it so um yeah, no, I, I am also excited about, I think we were trying to plan on seeing it. Hopefully we get to, but um, uh, Dream Scenario with Nicolas Cage. That one, I watched the trailer. It looks really good. Um, it can be our yearly Nicolas Cage movie. What was it I last so. year? What did we get? Oh, see? it was that terrible one where he played himself, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie sucked oh, so much. Geez. Yeah, I didn't like that one that much. Yeah. yeah. The year before it was pig. Yeah. It was like so well, great. But um Yeah. And then Mandy was one of those years, which is an amazing, awesome. amazing movie. Yeah. Um uh Isaac, uh, what have you been watching? 
Yeah, I, uh, I we were talking before we started recording. I watched a movie called Dan in Real Life, as my dad recommended it, and I've been watching The Office, talking about Steve Carell and all that stuff, and uh, he recommended this rom-com. I know, Juzo, you mentioned that you had just watched it recently as well, mm-hmm. um, so we can get your thoughts on it, but I thought it was pleasant. You know, pretty simple movie. Um, Steve Carell's just really enjoyable to watch. Um, I actually, uh, I saw him... In what was it? What's what's that uh, role with Ryan Gosling um, that he uh, has? Like that's Carole? the rom com movie. Oh, um, yeah. Crazy Stupid it's, Love. Uh, yeah, I watched him in that like probably eight or nine months ago, and I was like really impressed how fun that movie was, and actually how yeah. sort of deep it was. Also, um, so yeah, I just was kind of in the mood for that. Overall, I'd say it was enjoyable and worth the watch. Um, and then I obviously watched this movie for this week, and there was one more that I mentioned. Oh my gosh, what was it? Uh, before we started recording, we've already all forgotten. Mm. It's it's gone. It's slipped Did away. Did we talk about it? No, um, I think that was it. I think you said Dan in real life. Um, no, there there was definitely one more movie. Oh oh, uh, I think maybe I mentioned to it off off air, but I watched um, Thirteen Hours. Maybe mm. I said that like a couple episodes ago. I haven't been here for an episode, so who even knows what's going on? The holidays are all blurring together. The uh, um, Michael Bay movie you're talking about? Yes, yes. Benghazi? I watched that. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, I didn't realize John Krasinski was in it. Again, see, I've been watching The Office, so I've just been <laughs> oh. watching uh, other movies from that cast. And uh, it's funny, um, <laughs> Krasinski's in it, and the and the guy that's, uh, Pam's ex fiance is in it also as one of his squad mates. <laughs> in the movie. I was like, Oh my gosh, two office people. So, um, I wonder what is the most critically acclaimed, uh, movie from some of the office cast. It's gotta be either Krasinski or Carell, right? It's probably, something I think maybe Carell. like the big short, um, yeah. uh, Vice. a quiet place oh. did pretty well, but, um, that's a good movie. Yeah, I don't know about critical critical claim. Um, also, I don't know uh, that Foxcatcher movie got nominated for a bunch of awards too. Ooh, I, I have an uh, answer. I didn't see that one. No, I have an answer. It's oh, B.J. Novak, and it's Inglorious Bastards, which is a great transition oh, to a film I watched this yeah. week. What? Which very interesting. I sort of learned about recently that that was a movie of more mixed regard when it came out. Um, Surprising to me because now it's basically for everyone other than Cameron Tuttle, a bona fide <laughs> classic masterpiece. I don't think it's a masterpiece, actually. I actually think it's there's a lot of things in it that it's it's a very sort of oddly shaped movie. It doesn't it doesn't quite work as perfectly as something like um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or frankly, even Django. Um, but it's that movie is so virtuosic. I just think it, it's, it warrants a cinema spectator episode just to break down what Cameron's problem is about it, unless he has some like ideological <laughs> uh, uh, qualms he'd like to share with us. Because I just think it's so, be- I mean, it's like, God, it's one of the most beautiful looking movies. The, the craft of these scenes of the suspense is so incredible. Uh, the David Bowie needle drop is like one of my favorite things in any movie. So that was a fun sort of, it was, it was the capper for mixed class on the two thousands and um, it was really fun to watch that. Um, well, we—I don't think we've done—I don't think we've done any Pulp Fiction or any uh, Tarantino movies at all um, on the show, 
and hmm. it might be interesting to do a do a bit of a dive. I think the only reason we haven't is because um, Isaac has seen a lot of them. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, but I'd love to talk about them, you know, in detail. It, he, they, you know, even something like Django, which I agree is is I like it a lot better than than Bastards, but um, Django is a a movie that also kind of has a weird shape too, um, and. Most oh, really? of my qualms with that movie are in the last like third of that movie. That's um, interesting. I would almost so, say Django yeah. is is one of his most straightforward. I guess it sort of has an odd. It has kind of has two climaxes. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's probably his most conventional movie in a lot of ways, which in some ways makes it less interesting than Bastards. But I enjoy it a little bit more. Um, but I mean, look, I enjoy both these movies tremendously. I mean, they're terrific. Um, yeah. Should I talk about anything else I've seen in the interim, or uh, do you guys in a hurry to get to it? No, I mean any any anything else that needs mentioning, Juzo, because I know well, you watch a lot of movies. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to yeah labor it too much. And I was going to say Godzilla. I wouldn't say is like on the parasite level, but it is. It's just like a fun, good, solid movie. Um, so don't don't go in expecting to have your mind you know altered. Um, I was going to ask you if you guys are had heard about the Miyazaki movie or anything if uh, you guys were interested in seeing that cuz I did see that and uh speaking of di- speaking of directors that I need to dive into Cameron I mean oh, yeah. I have seen no Miyazaki so mm. I'm not I haven't had a chance to go out and see that one but Juzo what do you think I honestly I don't know I maybe need to see it again or maybe need to see all of his movies and then watch it cuz it was a kind of a baffling experience I definitely th- think it's beautifully made and his the creativity is just amazing um but it kind of has that quality of sometimes when i watch like i don't know david lynch movies or something sometimes i'm really on the wavelength of the experimental stuff he's doing and sometimes it just kind of goes over you know inland empire kind of just goes over my head i just find it kind of tiresome and for boy in the heron i found it kind of in that category of kind of exhausting to watch, even while I was impressed by it. Um, having you know watched movies like Spirited Away and found them completely compelling. Um, so it, it wasn't, I wasn't totally crazy about it, but it's certainly interesting to see a movie that's this experimental. I mean, like, I, I'm not using the Lynch comparison uh, without reason. It is, it is a truly experimental movie that is the number one movie at the box office on the name of the filmmaker. I mean, that's... That's pretty amazing. Miyazaki basically means he's in the category with Nolan or Tarantino or I don't know. I was going to say Spielberg, but even that's not true anymore. Um, so he's he's in a very rare, rare spot where people will go see his movies just for that. Um, anyway, I watched. Yeah, no. Okay. Well, just a second on Miyazaki. One thing that is interesting, too, is because he had, had taken a break for a while, you know, he. Um, I think it was like 10 years where he mm-hmm. hadn't made a movie. So that was another reason I think a lot of people were really excited for, for this one too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then really quick, I, I saw American Fiction, which is that new movie with Jeffrey Wright, which the trailer sort of advertises as a goofy comedy about a guy who writes a book that's, I, I guess you would call it like really stereotypical, like like he's leaning into all these black stereotypes of like gang bangers to write his, write a book that's more successful and it seems like kind of just like a a very funny but kind of one joke movie and then we saw the movie it's actually much more of like a dramedy kind of almost like the dan in real life 
Little Miss Sunshine, like the kinds of movies that Alexander Payne or Jason Reitman used to make in the 2000s. Um, like a really nice family drama. And then on top of that is this, this very funny thing where Jeffrey Wright creates this kind of ludicrous situation where he has to uh, put on this act to sell his book. And um, it was very fun. We saw it at the Grand Lake and big crowd. And uh, we, we had a very nice time watching that. Um, yeah, and other than that, I guess I just would give a shout out to, uh, I watched a couple of Errol Morris's movies again, one for our film club, The Thin Blue Line. This is another filmmaker hmm. I think definitely deserves it. Probably a month of Cinema Spectator, honestly, because um, I think I'd say he's one of the great living filmmakers. He's probably the best documentary filmmaker of all time. And The Thin Blue Line is a movie that the if you want to talk about like can movies have an impact on the world it's like that's one of the definitive examples of like a movie that uh i mean literally got a man out of uh saved a man's life you know a man was being wrongly uh sentenced to death and this movie uh changed that so it's pretty profound uh work on top of it just being basically inventing the true crime uh genre um and then i also watched his film called the b-side which is like at, at the time i thought it was, was kind of a minor film about is errol morse's friend who's this old lady who does large format polaroid photography you know which sounds you know super exciting but i found it to be like a kind of profound movie watching it again uh, she's since passed away and sort of seeing it as a contemplation of, uh, of mortality and impermanence and the way art artistic mediums change over time you know she's working in this medium that's really kind of fallen by the wayside in terms of its its usage you know film photography polaroid photography and um i found it incredibly touching and i almost kind of think it's errol morris's like once upon a time in hollywood in some ways it's like his elegiac mo also his most like warm-hearted movie he makes movies that are very kind of like hard driving this is like a movie made with a lot of love and gentleness and um, I think it's just absolutely beautiful. And also it's like 75 minutes. So you can just knock this thing out. It's, it's uh, really great. So it's called the B side Elsa Dorfman's portrait photography. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> I'm sure you guys uh, are just like, can't wait to go see some Errol Morris <laughs> after all that. But you know, I like what you, I, I, I think your pitch on, um, lost mediums of, of art is actually fascinating. I'm not. I'm not trying to be degrading or anything like that. Oh yeah. I, I think um, I've never held a, a like high value of like you know Polaroid photos, but I'm kind of compelled to maybe check it out because, you know, you think about all the stuff that, um, even if it's not an art form, it's like a medium that you're a part of loving. Even people are like into like VHS tapes, and now it's cool to collect vinyl records or you know cassette tapes and all that. Um, there's a special magic with it. My parents are at that older age where they now collect junk and restore it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's because, you know, their, their parents have passed and they're, they have all the, the estate stuff. Right. Um, oh, okay. and, and, and so there's all these like weird, like iron clad, like doorknobs that are being repurposed around the house and restored. Oh, and really? My wow. mom is like, oh, I don't know. Like I just couldn't get rid of it, but there is, there's something special there. You know, it's, uh, that, that kind of stuff. Like it's, um, I don't know. I don't know. Juzo. I, I, I don't, th I think the silence just had me in deep thought. Now I wasn't trying to make it a joking transition. Oh no, no, not at all. Not at all. No. And I certainly, 
can relate to that with your parents talking about that because yeah as as a person who myself and my family definitely has sentimental attachment to a lot of because these objects and these things and, and certainly when you have photographs photographs of people from 50 years ago it takes on a real you know she the, in the movie she actually talks about how she never she thinks a photograph its final meaning is not revealed until the person in it is dead which was kind of a profound idea in light of the fact that she is dead. And now there's this work of beautiful film that's about her that gains a sort of a, a meaning also, you know, in light of her passing. So I think wow. uh, for, for, a, you know, a, a film that when I saw it in 2017, I was like, Hey, that was pretty nice, but it like stuck with me. It was like, you know, kind of just like blew my mind and was, was very, very moved by it. Uh, just throwing it on this morning. So anyway, that's that's mm, that. Cameron, you're making me kind of think maybe we should do a documentary sort of month. I mean, what month is slow? <laughs> that's what we got to get down to, you know? This is like um, my master plan because then then it starts with Errol Morris doing a 70-minute film about stuff you're interested in, and then it ends with me making you watch Frederick Wiseman's uh, four-hour film about UC Berkeley, and then Isaac, uh, goes on Suicide Watch. So that's great. I... Uh, I I don't know. Like, I'm actually no hate against documentaries. I think they're, they can be fascinating. I've seen um, bad documentaries in school, but once I was out of school, uh, you can really find some like documentary artists that are like next level. I think the first one that blew my mind was that Fire Festival documentary. I mean, that was like, it's like a drama. Like, you can't even believe what's happening was uh, that, when you're watching it. That's a Netflix one? Yeah, it was the earliest one, I think. Yeah, if it was the Netflix out. one, that was really good. That's a good filmmaker, Chris Smith. Um, yeah, I remember liking it yeah. a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and so that sort of changed my perspective. I had a, a lot of fun. It's not the best documentary, but I watched the Woodstock 99 documentary on uh, mm. on Amazon, and uh, Frank and I just... <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, my father-in-law we i think i put it in on some holiday like fourth of july or something we we're supposed to watch something else but we just ended up watching you know fred nurse tell the people to rip apart the stage oh it's my God. 99 or whatever <laughs> we're just sitting there like is this really happening i mean the documentary doesn't pull any punches they're like People are crawling through human feces at Woodstock '99. They have all this footage of them like creating bonfires. They're like, oh, wow. this is some next level stuff. I mean, um, and I've actually had an inkling to revisit the the Beatles Got Back documentary. I need to. Oh, that's I need so to get good. back around. It's because yeah. we watched the Lord of yeah. the Rings stuff. But I think we could go on and on talking about nothing. This is Cinema Spectator, <laughs> and at least we're on topic. <laughs> at the beginning of the show talking about movies if you enjoy the show you can support us at patreon.com slash ecfs productions throw a couple dollars our way get some exclusive content on there that's locked for our patrons if you don't have a few dollars it's all good we appreciate you being here we're thankful you're listening to the show and uh, we just want to thank you for joining us on this holiday special i guess i mean we're kind mm. of two weeks in a row right i'm getting cameron to do christmas month in december who would have thought right <laughs> i feel like this is going to be this is going to be a good episode choose i'm glad you're here for this one too oh yeah um me. we're doing it's a wonderful life cameron you want to give a little context uh, i'm sure the young kids are going to be like i've never heard of this movie <laughs> um it's very Maybe. old well i would say that um of frank capra's um you know, fairly lengthy uh, catalog of films. This is definitely his most famous and probably his most um, still watched uh, to this day, although rivaled also by Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I don't know if you ever saw that 
in school or anything. We watched that for school. Um, and one. it happened one night, which we watched for the show. Um, mm-hmm. So Capra has, um, you know, he was certainly a pioneer, I would say, in um, in the uh, pre and post-war era of filmmaking. Um, he's kind of uh, known for, you know, in some ways making a lot of um, these, you know, people who end up becoming giant movie stars, people like Clark Gable. Um, and then, you know, and then in this, in this, uh, in this movie, you know, I think he's already a star at this point, but, uh, James Stewart, um, as well as Donna Reed, who, um, you know, I would say this is for both of them, one of their most iconic roles. Um, it takes, place um i think it is in 1946 um but it goes through the story of this man's life who um you know is in kind of a a very difficult place at at the start of the movie um and it goes through all of the journey of how he got there um to make a decision to to try to kill himself um and before that you know he has he's kind of in some ways he's a little bit of a heroic figure throughout the town um, and really has come up on some, some pretty bad luck. Um, And with that, his um, you know, his whole town and his family especially is, is praying for him and he gets sent a guardian angel um, who makes him reevaluate his life uh, in a certain way. And I would say, I don't know if it started with this movie, but this is kind of a formula that um, continues in in a lot of movies, uh, but I would say this is like um, a very very iconic, you know, type of movie. The looking back on your life and reevaluating it if you if you hadn't been born, um, you know, I think I think there's a there's kind of a um, a depth to this idea, and it certainly ends up being. Um, really really emotionally satisfying at the end as well um as far as uh well i mean i don't know have you guys you guys have both seen this movie before i know juzo has isaac you've you've seen this one before oh yeah i mean i think this this movie i wanted to have on the show i it's it's special to me because it was one of the first old movies i could remember that meant something besides like black and white figures saying, well, honey, I'll be on my five. You know, like I, I don't, I don't like, like as a kid, you're like, that's the last thing I want to watch. Yeah. Right. Speak for um, yourself. But yeah. But uh, you, you like at a young age, I remember this movie being um, something that kind of sticks with you. And I want to, I want to get into why I think um, it is, but it's, it's very special to me for, for, uh, one particular personal reason. Um, my mom's sister, Alice loved this movie. Uh, Alice passed away, um, after battling cancer for a lot of years when I was very young. Uh, I did know her and I loved her a lot because she gave me this VHS of Buzz Lightyear, uh, space ranger or something like that. Uh, and it was just a very important VHS to me. It was one of the things that like, I remember her by, 
Um, but my mom's older sister watched this movie year round. Uh, it was one of those films for her. And so uh, there's kind of like an association with her uh, who I didn't know too well. Um, but obviously it was very devastating for my family when she passed. I was just young, so I didn't, I don't think it really clicked in full, but I felt some of that, like, um, I guess some of the, some of the pain and, and kind of grief that came with that, uh, at a young age. And so watching it this time, um, just in my adult life, it really, uh, it really resonated with me cause I was like it's pretty amazing to know somebody like in my family who loved this movie so much. Right. Um, this movie is kind of like not letting it. It's sort of about like making sure you don't take your life for granted. Mm. And for like my aunt Alice's memory to be associated with this movie, I was like, kind of like, wow, this is, (laughs) this is kind of amazing. You know, I can't even, uh, believe I didn't know how, um, how much this movie would mean to me in my memory of her, you know? Um, so yeah, this is, this is a special one. It was a real treat to revisit. Um, I found myself sort of tuning in and out of watching it as I've seen it a lot of times, like very early on where there are scenes with him as a kid and things like that. I'm like, all right, all right. You know, I've seen this, right. Uh, the, the part at the high school dance where they're screaming at each other, there's all these different people. I'm like, this just seems kind of like old movie fluff, right? Uh, and oh, they kind of do that, that whole scene. pool scene. <laughs> I like the pool. I know. I love that scene too. <laughs> yeah. I think the pool thing is great. I, I just think like there's like all this, uh, there's like a ton of kind of like talky dialogue that I'm like, all right, all right, come on, come on. Get into the, get into the, the depressing stuff already, you know? Um, but uh, <laughs> the this they do a great job setting up um, the characters and I found the viewing to just be, great i think um once he crashes his car i was like pretty much locked in uh with this movie that was the part that i missed watching the most because you i I feel like i've seen the beginning of this movie like over 10 times but the end of it i've seen like three or something like that i'm not sure why (laughs) that's my experience with this film so um yeah the ending was really um it's always it's always been great, and uh, the performances are really good. But yeah, it was, it was good to revisit it. Juzo, what about um, what about you? How many times have you seen this movie? What's your history with it? Uh, I mean, over the years, I've probably seen it. I don't know, four, five, six times, maybe. Um, I didn't actually revisit it for this, but I, I, we I watched it a little while ago uh, this year for mixed class actually, because we did a class. I think honestly, like the best class he he's taught so far. Um, which is on Jimmy Stewart. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I mean, it, it. the movie is always hugely impactful to me. Um, and it's, yeah, I, re- I really think it's truly one of the greatest films ever made, like possibly in my top 10 of all time. Um, I didn't have the same relationship to it as, as the watching it every year that I think some of you had, or I think on a lot of people, honestly, in America it's a Christmas tradition to watch this movie. It plays in theaters every Christmas Eve in some places. Um, for me, I honestly, I think this movie I find so emotionally 
like there's movies I like to watch over and over again that are moving, you know, what like a Pixar movie or something. But there's some movies that are almost so moving that I only want to watch them every few years. Like it's such a like E.T. is another one. Like I love Spielberg, of course, but I've probably watched like 10 other Spielberg movies more times than E.T., even though I'd say it's the, his best movie just because it's so like overwhelming to watch. And there's you know, there's a small handful of movies in that category. I think the Roger Ebert documentary Life Itself is another one. Um, but it's like, to me, is is one of the few, how should I put this? So many movies, you kind of have to pick an aspect of life that you're talking about, right? Mick sometimes talks about this, how you've got, you you make a comedy, you're kind of accepting that life is funny, or you make a tragedy, you're accepting life is sad. You have to sort of pick a lane about what kind of, um, because you can't encompass all of life itself, all of the human condition into a single movie. Um, but this movie to me feels like one of the rare examples, or at least the, the, a film that comes as close as you can to like wrapping its arms around like, here's what like life is all about. I mean, I, I would go so far to call it like a life affirming movie um, mm. because the feeling it leaves you with about your own life and about the sort of appreciation you have after it. I think is absolutely as profound as any movie I can think of uh, any movie ever. And um, it's a court sort of, you know, I think some people see the movie as a little sentimental. I was actually talking to some of my friends yesterday. They're going, Oh, that movie, you know, that's kind of, you know, sentimental, whatever. It's like, have you watched? I was like, you guys watched this recently? Like it's not a, (laughs) it's not a movie that is, you know, there's certain movies you see Christmas time, especially that are cuddly and are kind of trying, you know, but you see it on like the Hallmark channel, for example, where it's like, you know, very low kind of, it's, it's, they're trying to make you feel good, but they're not tipping you into the darkness to make you actually feel the profoundity of that kind of hope. And this is a movie that's willing to like show you everything about life that can be, you know, horrifying and disappointing and even nightmarish. Um, to then lift you out of it. And I think that's the key aspect of these movies. Like when people talk about feel good movies as, as a negative, I think they're thinking of movies that don't want to get into that kind of uh, harsh reality of life. When I think you watch a movie like this or a movie like Ratatouille or a movie like almost famous, these are movies that reckon with life's reality and then kind of bring you out of it um, in a way that, that, makes it so much more impactful than when you just sort of skate along the surface and just kind of, I want everyone to have a good time. This, this, this movie really um, feels honest in that way. And then on top of that, it's just like an entertaining movie. It's fun. It's funny. I think it's like one of the great romance movies, like in terms of like the relationship between the two of them, it's a great movie about marriage and about being a father. Um, and um, and it's been beautifully crafted, beautifully made. There's so many like details about the filmmaking we could talk about. Um, I just love it so much. And I, I think it's just one, one of the all time. I mean, I think it, and, and it really does seem like one of those few movies, very, very few movies from before 19 whatever 80 that I think even young people today probably still know about and even watch. So pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Isaac, I think we were talking on one of the episodes a few weeks ago about a movie that just makes you, like, you know, really, really cry very hard. Um, And that, I forgot about this movie. That is this movie for me. Every single time I watch it. um, And I'm kind of like you, Juza, where 
Um, I don't know if it is a yearly tradition for me, but it is one that like I do think about during Christmas time and I, you know, will occasionally maybe like every two years or something um, I'll put on watch. But it is truly a devastating movie for me. Um, I'm not really sure why, but the last like 15 of the well, I know why, but the last like 15 minutes of the movie are, you know, some of the most like, you know, you just I just don't stop. You know, it's like it's like there's there's so much about the movie that, um, like you said, that is beautiful and the attention to detail and um, the story. But I mean, just the amount of like love and and care that's put into like the sort of emotional beats of the movie. Um, also, I think I, I love what you're saying about how it's it's a great romance as well. Um, I think it really has to make that relationship work for the sort of emotional payoff of of the end of the movie to work. Um, and in a lot of ways, like if it was kind of a weaker movie, I could see a version of this maybe even made today where, um, you know, you kind of don't like you know, James Stewart's character that much, or you kind of don't like, uh, you know, their relationship or you're, you're not on board with a hundred percent of the things that, you know, you're not like rooting for him. And so that beat at the end doesn't really feel as satisfying, but mm -hmm. I think it's because you so love, um, George as a character, um, you know, you so love Mary and their relationship. And then to see it kind of in this, horrible spot is is really tough and then you know pulling you out of that by you know the community it, it just really i don't know there's something about it that really really touches me um and it's it's hard to think of any other movies um quite like it for me um i really don't know i don't know of that many movies that i've seen so many times that every single time the emotions are still the same, still as fresh, still as, um, you know, impactful as they are with this movie. So, I, I mean, honestly, kudos, um, you know, this is just, it really, it truly deserves its, uh, you know, its, its place as one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the characters um, and some of these things that I think as I've gotten older, you know, obviously the big sort of emotional turn at the end has always meant something to me and I, I've always liked it. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten older, I start to really appreciate the crafting of all of the characters. Um, the, uh, you know, and then when it, when it comes around, when he's sort of revisiting his life, um, you start to really see those characters in, in a new light in a lot of ways. Um, I really, I know you were talking <laughs> Isaac about, um, you know, being, being a little bored of the, you know, the opening sequences, but I really, really love the interaction with, um, the druggist, uh, at the very beginning. That's another one that like hits yeah, me so hard moving. every time. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, when he, when he, you know, he, yeah well anyways um it's just a it's well, hold it's a, on it's hold on moment. i don't dislike that scene <laughs> i'm talking about when it's all those random people from high school that he's talking to or that no no i i know i know um but i i just mean like um i don't know that like all of the detail in um 
you know, in the characters. I think the one the one character who did not age well and is I mean he's supposed to be annoying, I guess, but the, uh, uh, the he guy. I knew you're gonna <laughs> I knew you're gonna say that. Though I have to say that that almost works that that guy's so obnoxious because whenever I watch the movie, I'm like, oh get this guy off the screen, like, oh my god, so irksome. <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, it's like, oh my god, that guy was like an incredibly good friend to him and like yeah. really like he like you know helped him out in the end. Um <laughs> So you, you're, it, it kind of fits in with the, what the movie is saying is like, you know, don't take your people in your life for granted because this guy who might he seems annoying every time he comes around saying hee haw might actually, <laughs> you know, help you out in the end. You know, it's I, I think that's kind of is great. Yeah. I also love um, there's so many like little details. I love that his uncle is just like an animal collector. You know, he just has random like he's got a raven in his in his office and then like a squirrel and stuff like he's just a he's just a guy who collects like random animals oh, from from outside. Um I love obviously like the, the movie has a message uh, in terms of sort of community uh bringing together and and then you know on the outside there's kind of the the money grubbing mr potter who you know is is this sort of dominating force um trying to eat up all of the all of the land um just and like black rock yeah just no, just <laughs> like black rock Isaac. um and it is it is funny because uh there are moments you know, this is just me. This is just me speaking. Okay, I'll be honest. Sometimes I gotta agree with Mr. Potter. Okay. <laughs> oh God, ba- Senior Bailey. Uh, you know, he's letting he's letting things slip. You know, he can't he can't be going going broke the whole time. You know, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to kick people out. But you know, he he can he can be uh, you know he can he could get his money. It's okay. It's not immoral. Um, and you know, that would probably help him because then Mr. Potter wouldn't be able to take over his business. You know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait till this happens with Inglorious Bastards and then we have to hear about what my Hans Landa, you know, maybe had some good ideas like, geez. No, no. I mean, obviously he's, he's sort of a cartoonishly evil character. And at the same time, um, you know, you see, you see the alternative world where he's running the town, and um, and so it's it's very clear that he um, <laughs> he would not be a, a positive impact at least in the uh, in the yeah, world of it the just story. It becomes a Vegas strip. Like I know, yeah. It's like- honestly it becomes it's actually they they held back from how awful it could get because I have to say having yeah. lived in the Bay Area. The impact of the Mr. Potters of the world is definitely much worse than having what when it what was it, a bunch of strip clubs and you know poker games. I mean, it's like like yeah, it's pretty bad or whatever and unpleasant and unseemly. But but they didn't I, I would show definitely the inflated housing prices. Yeah, <laughs> I would definitely yeah. send you over the edge. <laughs> yeah, I would take that over just the impersonal you know skyscraper you know misery of whatever today has. Anyway, but uh, yeah, he's a great he's a great villain and Lionel Barrymore is. It's kind of sad that that's what he's remembered for is being this kind of like Dick Cheney esque, you know, like he looks like (laughs) Dick Cheney. He does, Uh, yeah. You know, very, you know, not a very, it's not like a very nuanced character in terms of like, oh, he has a lot of complexity. Like the movie is just like, no, this guy sucks. You know, it's not like Capra's (laughs) trying to have any sympathy. Um, But he was a wonderful actor and, uh, you know, he, he did a nice job. Um, though another redeeming quality about mr potter he runs the uh he runs the (laughs) 
the office, whatever the um, the draft office. Okay, you know he's doing his part. He's pitching in. Oh please! Oh please! <laughs> I like that. I'm getting. I'm gonna stand. That was fun. That was, was really. I, he really was in a wheelchair, Lionel Barrymore. I think he really oh. was. He had. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what what it was at that time, but uh, yeah, he was he was confined to a wheelchair, I believe, at the time. Oh. Well, I thought it was kind of a, it made his character a little bit more interesting than if no, he was, I, you know, just walking around. But yeah, he kills it in the role. I thought, um, I thought he was really great. I, I didn't. I don't remember thinking about him that much uh, with this movie. Um, so he really stood out on this viewing. And um, yeah, I think Cameron, you're totally right about George Bailey as a character being set up as such an honorable good driving force in the movie um i want to give a little bit more time to what you were talking about with the um pharmacist guy what is that guy's name mr gower or mr gower yes yeah. yeah. so you see george bailey as a kid work with mr gower who's uh this is kind of like the first moment that the movie um it kind of has like this like dark it, it has a dark side, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't. It kind of can. It kind of slowly seeps it in throughout the movie, from the initial like falling through the ice. Which, uh, as a kid, when I watched that, that's what stuck with me. I was, I was like, falling through yeah. the ice is the scariest thing ever. Like, I don't want that to <laughs> happen to me, right? And then they're like, oh, and and George Bailey loses his hearing, right? Um, and so like you watch that as a kid, and you're like, that's horrifying, you know. Uh, you get to the part where he's going to jump off the bridge and you're like, that's weird. Why did that one fat guy jump in and then he jumped in? You don't understand as a kid when you're watching it, right? Um, you just get that he's upset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but with uh, Mr. Grower, I think his relationship with George ba- uh, Bailey is is kind of like, it's, a, it's really dark. It feels really dark and kind of, um, it, it's actually when I watched it before this viewing, it's one of the scenes that Joanna's like, this is too much. Like, I don't really want to watch this. This is weird. You know, it's, it's like, scary. It, I remember that as a kid, that really scared me, that guy. Cause he's like, kind of, he's really like kind of an upsetting figure. And then being surprised also as a kid, when you see him like break down like that and realize what, what he almost did and what George did for him. Uh, it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that was one of the elements that I wanted to highlight as we go through these different characters is that, um, it, this movie doesn't just have a dark turn of bad luck. Like, I think what you were hitting on Juzo of it, it encapsulating life, that there's bad happening all the time everywhere, you know? Uh, but there's also good happening, uh, at the same time. Yeah. Right. And his life isn't uh, completely fixed by the end either. It's not like everything's going to be all right, it's it's really his mindset that's changed, which is kind of, in its own way, kind of a profound idea about life, that maybe it's more about how you think about it than what your actual circumstances are. Anyway. Anyway, so yeah, just drop that, uh, you know, main life-changing theme, right? You know, uh, <laughs> when this movie hits on. But yeah, Mr. Mr. Gower, um, I think seeing him early on, I it is... Um, I think the best way to put it is it's disturbing. Um, that that scene. I think maybe a younger audience would watch that and be like, 
wow, times have changed. Um, but I think that the film knows how uncomfortable it makes you, right? Yeah, and how bad how bad of uh, an act it is, and also like the compassion that that George takes with him too. You know, because he he read the telegram, he knows that his son died. You know, um, and and there's like there's that moment of of him you know understanding where Mister Gower is coming from, which I really really love. I like it. It adds so much like depth into that sequence. Yeah, it also bears mentioning that in terms of talking about the 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 darkness the movie is getting at and also connecting to the idea of his son dying in the war it it definitely uh, is uh, worth mentioning how this movie comes right at the heels of world world war 2 and not only mm. that it was james stewart's return to filmmaking after 5 years of war service and he like actually was like he's i think he saw combat like i don't think he was like just a you know uh, ceremonially you know just like part of you know in, in had service. I think he actually really um, was traumatized by things he saw in the war. And uh, a lot of people talk about this movie as kind of a, an expression of that, of like him changing from this kind of good natured uh, stringy young man. He is in Mr. Smith in those early movies um, to something that, you know, he, he gets a little darker after the war. And, and certainly in the years that follow this movie, he starts doing those movies with uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I'm not sure if that's entirely true. As we talked about in mixed class, he, there is a, a darkness to all of Jimmy Stewart's movies, even before uh, his war service. I mean, even Mr. Smith, there's a real like anguish in that performance. I think that's mm. what's so great about it is on the surface, he's like this like good natured, you know, like friendly guy, but, you just like really don't have to do much for him to start like breaking down or yelling and screaming and like really freaking out. Um, uh, so you, when you watch this movie, you definitely definitely have a sense of Ca- and also Capra was filming stuff in the war. He was you yeah. know uh, one of that group of directors, I believe, that was um, you know making documentaries about uh, I don't know like ho- Holocaust and all, all sorts of things going on in the war. And um, I think this movie for both of them was in some ways, an expression of that feeling of going through that, that, uh, you know, the hell that must have been and coming out the other side of it. Um, so I think it, um, you know, we're far away from it now, but it's definitely, you know, would have a certain impact if you're watching this movie in 1946 and seeing, uh, you know, this kind of um, expression, both literal and subtextual of, of the experience of going through uh, World, World War II. Yeah. 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 I think um the emphasis on enjoying or, or or appreciating your life um probably must have been one that what's cool is that you don't need the war context for it to be meaningful and important. Yeah. But I imagine yeah. I imagine that um a lot of people needed to hear that uh at the time after the war and after you know all of the the horrible things that occurred during that time. Um, we have so much retrospective and, and um, consideration for what occurred in world war two and dissection of what happened during that time. But I don't know if you could really fully have your thoughts and feelings worked out uh, in 1946, right? Yeah. You hear this or that and not, you probably don't know as much and the flow of information is slower, right? Um, it's probably 
a lot to deal with. But um, the 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 best thing with this film is that it 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 transcends even past that, uh, which which adds to its its excellence. Mm-hmm. Cameron, um, I feel like George Bailey is who we have to stick with. Do you want to talk about any other scenes as we're going up and through? Well, I do want to talk about um, about Mary and sort of her character, um, who's kind of an interesting, um, an interesting foil in a lot of ways to to George, as you know, the younger George is trying to be the jet setter adventurer. He's trying to to go off and explore and and you know vacation in Europe and um, and Mary, in a lot of ways, her dream is about um, where she is. It's about Bedford Falls. It's about, um, you know, restoring, a a creaky old house that, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't have any, any hope left. And so there's something very interesting about, about them to, um, navigating, you know, his dreams of, of getting out of there. And then her dreams of, of kind of being, um, being sort of, sort of, sort of a shining light in the community. Um, and I, I love how it ends up, you know, turning around, you know, kind of halfway through the movie where George, you know, because of his position, because of his dad, um, you know, owning the building and loan and because he kind of takes up the mantle a little bit, um, he's forced in a lot of ways to stick around and to be the sort of Mary, um, in in the community um and i i i love that i think there's there's something very elegant that's said about sort of marriage and about you know two people who have different visions kind of working through that um you know and then it sort of in some ways it does lead to some unhappiness uh with with george bailey and he gets tempted at at one point um to join with Mr. Potter and to, you know, to join sides with, with the enemy, with the dark side. Um, but I think his, his sort of principles outlast his, um, you know, the, the allure of, of money and a, and a good job. And, um, you know, and what, what is, what does Potter say? He says, um, you know, don't you want to be giving your wife, a you know, new clothes and, you know, the finest meals and go on vacation to New York and to Europe. Um, you know, and, and really that's, I don't think that's ever what Mary really wanted. She wanted to, to build the, the home that was, that was already there. Um, so I, I love that. I love that romance. I love that sort of, um, you know, those two characters playing off each other. It feels very genuine, I guess. Yeah, I really love how they play off each other. Just the, the courtship itself, too, when they're... I, I think it's supposed to be in high school. It's kind of funny because Jimmy Stewart's like 30 years old. He's in high school <laughs> <I know>. or whatever. <laughs> but whatever, you can overlook it. Because it's so charming watching the two of them. And it sort of reminds you of those old, you know, kind of like back and forth, you know, the, you know, your classic sort of uh, romantic comedy, I guess. Um, and then, you know, them hanging out and we're saying he's going to lasso the moon for her. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. And then, and then the whole thing where I just find that scene where they're on the telephone is like such a like powerful, like 
and kind of strange scene. Like they, they're sort of angry at each other, but it comes, it becomes this very kind of intimate and almost like a sensuous moment, particularly, I mean, by the standards of the mid 1940s full in the code. Um, it really like there's, there's a huge sort of electrical charge between the two of them. Um, and it's also just, I, I think it's a, it's a testament to her and the writing of the movie that, um, you know, that could be a really boring character, you know, the, the, the nice wife who's, you know, housewife, whatever at home, um, that, that always, a lot of movies is kind of the weak link of a lot of movies, but I think for whatever reason, just the charm of how they go back and forth and the way she sort of like brings him back to earth in some, you know, when something doesn't go wrong. I love the scene where she, uh, he's, she surprised him at the house and you know, with the meal and like the, you know, the rain's coming in or whatever, and, and Bert and Ernie are kind of like helping out and <laughs> like chauffeuring or whatever. It's funny. I don't know if that's was the inspiration for Sesame Street, but anyway, I looked it um, up. It's not. It was. Not. It was always rumored, but it's it's not the case. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I thought it was just a coincidence, but um, how about those chickens in the fire? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh yeah, isn't there some? There, there's like a, the record player is turning the chickens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so great. Um, just, just, yeah, really, really beautiful. Um, and then, you know, becomes heartbreaking when you see him like turning against her, and you, you know, you're, you're just like uh, horrified by how, um, I don't know, how, how dark he sort of goes. And, and yeah, Jimmy Stewart really just has the ability to be so likable, but then like genuinely a scary presence. Like you could imagine him being a scary uh, father figure, like they'd be terrified of when he. He gets that glint in his eyes and he's like, you know, um, like in Vertigo, too. He has that kind of feeling. Um, so it's it's yeah, really great seeing him. It's just the ultimate like Jimmy. I always think, you know, people always compare him to Tom Hanks because they're both like the all American, like likable guy. But I think uh, Mick was very astute in saying the closest thing we have to Jimmy Stewart today is Nicolas Cage. And I think <laughs> you could make a montage of jimmy stewart freaking out the same way you do with nicholas cage because there are so many great movies where it's just him flipping out and enraged at someone sometimes it's righteous anger sometimes he's just you know insane but um i think he does have a similar quality and and uh i've never thought about that but i would so hilarious i would kill to see a rear window with nicholas cage (laughs) that would be it would be amazing <laughs> yeah i mean the original is amazing so uh. yeah, i think i think it's a great comparison i, I have some friends who don't like the, my, my friends who are older don't like the comparison because they think it's like a disc because like nicholas cage to them is like a bad actor but i i mean i do it's the highest compliment because i think in in both of their eras they're they're you know one of the greatest actors of all time so <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think Nicholas. Uh, yeah, okay, man. We got to stay on track here. I almost was like, is Nicolas Cage a bad actor? No, no I don't. No. no, he's not. He's not. He does. He does take bad roles pretty frequently, but he he's not a bad actor. And I, and actually, one thing. Yeah, we're we're getting off topic, but you, one no, thing about <laughs> about him is I think he's very much um, someone who who needs like good direction. And I think he excels um, really exceptionally with like really good direction. But when he's, when I, he's given a, given some rope, I don't know if he's, he's the best. His intuitions might not be the best, but I, but he, I think he's even fun when he's bad. Like he sort of is leaning into performance yeah. style. That's more of 
you know more of that time of early Hollywood where it's like it's a, not it's not naturalistic. It's what do you call it? Filmic representation. I don't know what you call it, but it's like you know it's 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 over the top. It's kind of goofy, but it you know it's it's fun to watch in a way that those guys were. Sorry, Isaac. I think I interrupted you though. He has so many movies. Oh my god! <laughs> I never realized how many. Mo- oh my yeah. I He's mean like, yeah. Porn star 20, numbers, yeah. Twenty twenty three, and then I guess some of his earliest ones are like nineteen eighty two, nineteen eighty three. I mean, that's a that is a long run, you know. Oh yeah. Wow, I just had never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would be a challenge going through all of these. That would be. <laughs> That could be its own podcast. You know? I mean, it, and to connect it back to Stuart, though, it, it is a shame that Stuart, I think, it, partly because of the the way movies were back then, when he, like, Cage is probably the age Stuart was when he was winding down. I mean, Cage is, what, his early 60s, maybe late 50s? You know, by the time Stuart was in his 60s, I don't know, once you get past, you know, maybe the late, uh, you know, Anatomy of a Murder, there aren't really that many great Jimmy Stewart movies anymore. And I think he the combination of i think i think it mainly was like the kind of roles he was given made him sort of lean into the aw shucks goofy kind of side of himself and um it's a shame that we talk about this about billy wilder all, all sorts of old hollywood figures it's like man it would have been nice to see that kind of last act that a lot of people get nowadays when they get to like clint eastwood or you know even you know denzel washington or actors who get to stick around into their 60s and 70s um, yeah it's a shame stewart didn't really get the same um, because he deserved it. I mean, I really think he's really up there in terms of he's in my top five actors of all time. I think he's just like amazing. And I think this is his greatest. This is his magnum opus. It's it's an, a, an astonishing performance uh, in this movie. You're still perusing the cage roles, <laughs> Isaac. Yeah, I've landed on a movie called Dog Eat Dog with Paul Schrader. Nicholas- <laughs> with Nicolas Cage and William or <laughs> Willem, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe, yeah, William yeah. Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, that's a great director, actually. That's that's uh, the guy who made First Reformed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Top featured <laughs> review. Wow, I can honestly say this is one of Nicolas Cage's worst films of all time, <laughs> <laughs> and I think his career is tanking. In 2016, you think this? Wow. I I, uh, I could not have guessed at the beginning of this recording that we would get from talking about George Bailey to talking about Paul Schrader's dog eat dog. That's a pretty <laughs> amazing thing. Well, you know, you never know where the internet's going to take you. Um, yeah. Cameron, let's let's. I mean, we're at an hour ten. Let's try to wrap up. Um, yeah. Some some thoughts on this one. Uh, we didn't even get to touch on Guardian Angel stuff. Clarence. Last yeah, last twenty five minutes. Um the part that had me captivated. I loved watching this scene. I loved uh I forgot how clever the transition from um uh like the alternate universe and like it's back to normal and the snow um, falling? Well it's just like yeah, like that little, uh, like just the details and the, um, like the way that uh, the cop pulls up and is like, oh, like you know George and and that like you could see it click for him and he just mm-hmm. like 
that he has that joyous response that's like explosive. As watch bleeding. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch it and you're like, wow, this is like uh, it feels really ahead of its time. Uh, the way that it does sort of that alternate timeline. Um, Clarence is great. I love his performances. It reminds me of like the hobbits in, in Lord of the Rings. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a little Ian Holm. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's got that, that kind of warmth and, um, the, uh, I love the scene in the bar where he's like, Oh, oh yes. <laughs> he's trying to order a drink. Like that's just <laughs> a very fun bit. Um, that, that stuck with me after this viewing. Um, yeah, the last 25 minutes, I mean, it's hard not to just have like a big smile. Uh, at the end, it just, it makes me, um, kind of think about the thing that you were saying, Juzo, where, uh, people think that this movie is a feel good movie. Um, I don't think it is a feel good movie up until it's payoff. And what I think is really interesting is that, um, it seems like there are a lot of movies that we watch on this show in particular that hit on kind of like the reality or the darkness of the human condition, right? The things that we're facing on the day to day. Um, but it seems so exceedingly rare for it to have such a triumphant, joyous ending, right? And a positive message. It's almost like that's too old and too unoriginal, but I'm like, I don't know if people could do it actually. I don't think well, people could pull it off. I mean, this movie is like, it, it, it obviously there's not a lot of other movies like it right so. yeah no i mean a lot of movies go for the happy ending like i think that is that is common but what's not common is doing it that um satisfyingly a lot a lot of movies they send you out some a lot of times you watch old movies even it's really like bad like sometimes you watch a movie that shouldn't have a happy ending or just is you know <laughs> yeah. where they, they but they want you to go out thinking you had a nice time so they're like hey and then they got together and they lived happily ever after don't think about it you know um but to see a movie that really does it it's like wh- where you feel where you feel that sense of hope because and you know i i think both forms are valid i'm sure we've watched movies on here that say life is meaningless or life is horrifying uh, nightmarish and I think, you know, I think that's whatever it's, it's artistically valid as, as this movie is. Um, but yeah, just as you could make a movie that's pointlessly nihilistic and just kind of dull and, you know, relishing in the, the depressing without really saying much, there are movies that really make you feel it. And then there's also movies that make you, I mean, there's a great example of a movie that makes you really face the horror of humanity and then come out the other side is like Schindler's List, you know, like that movie doesn't hmm. shy away from the reality at all and you could you know stop the movie at any point and be like wow this is the most horrifying portrait you could paint of humanity but then at the same time that movie still he manages from that to you know i don't know well anyway it's it's it still has a sense of the life affirming uh with all that it's it's a but it's a difficult thing to pull off i think spielberg has done it i think capra did it here you know i talked about almost famous movies like that but there's there's not many of them that that really i was gonna say you know, you're talking about sort of that, um, you know, pulling you back from from the darkness and into sort of a happy um, conclusion or an uplifting conclusion. I think Spielberg is like the master of it. I think he's like the modern day Capra in a lot of ways where his movies are very um, pointed, very they have a lot of sort of they're like dripping with meaning, but in some ways like it's that's okay you know it doesn't feel over the top it feels very 
um, poignant instead of being sentimental or, you know, like a Hallmark movie or, you know, anything like that. And I, I, I was going to say, like, this movie, it goes to some really, really dark places. Um, you know, we talked about the the beginning with with Mr. Gower, but even just like the, you know, the the contemplation of suicide and sort of his his huge outburst at his kids, which is like oh, it's oh, such a yeah. devastating scene because you're like you're so on on board with this guy you're so like rooting for him and this moment of of really you know this kind of terrible character moment where he's he's doing something really awful to the people that he loves um it just you know it kind of hits you there and and i i just love how capra is able to to kind of um pull through that and and with with the fact that he goes so dark um it makes that you know that ending sequence feel so much better so oh yeah for sure yeah the only the only other old movie that i feel like does like the depressing like and and the depressing so well with like the happy ending really well was the apartment we've talked about the apartment a lot oh yeah that's um, a good one. If you like this movie, you gotta watch The Apartment. That's all I gotta say. You know, it's it's. I feel like it it would work really well with it. Just talking about that makes me want to watch it as well. I think the point I was trying to bring up um, is that it feels like with some of the modern films that we watch, they really nail that um, depression level. Uh, and I do agree. I think Spielberg is actually one of the few that can that can do the the happy ending very well. Um, but it always feels like the, a lot of the other directors that we watch, it's kind of like, well, it's, it is actually a hopeful ending. You know, you actually like, you could read into it. You know, I feel like we've had that response a lot on this show where you're like, there is something there, you know, but this movie, it's like, it's like, it feels like, um, uh, like just like trumpets blaring at the yeah. end. Like, you're like, Oh my goodness. Like I am, I'm ready to like, jump up from the couch and click my heels together and say, well, you know, <laughs> I guess today <laughs> yeah. is, today is, is, is not that bad, you know? Um, and it's, it's kind of amazing to watch a movie like that, uh, in the modern age, you know, I, especially, I, I don't know. I just, I just, it feels rare, uh, to me. So, and, and Juzo, I know you say, well, you know, happy endings are normal or that, that happens all the time. Um, but no, not like this. Come on. You can't say no, no, not. I mean, no, I mean, it's like the greatest ending of any movie. I mean, that's the, that's my point is it's, I thought I honestly, but I think nowadays happy endings are way more rare than the other type of ending. That's what (laughs) I'm saying. Like, I think, I think it was more common back when a movie like this was made though. Even then, I mean, I think you could make an argument that during this period, there was a lot of cynicism, you know, probably due to the war and due to all those things. But there was in the movies that were made in this time, there was still some sort of there. There was a cynical nature to some of them. You think about a movie that was made two years earlier, another Wilder movie, Double Indemnity. That has like one of the darkest <laughs> endings yeah. to uh, any movie at the time. Which also um, great. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um but now I'm thinking like like what's another movie that is, you know, as sort of balls to the wall 
um, <laughs> also happy hopeful. ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at the end, I would say like something like Paddington Two is like it makes you feel Paddington on that Two level. is 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 actually very reminiscent of It's a Wonderful Life, and I think that's yeah. part of why it, that movie I liked it oh. so much. It really oh has my that feeling. Gosh. <laughs> it is. It's true. No, it is. It is. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if I agree with that, but I did. What enjoy are you talking it. about at the end? You know, his, his, his aunt. I I'm mean, still, I gotta be honest. I still am kind of shocked by that movie's credits. Unnecessarily hard credits. You know? <laughs> oh, the mute, the, uh, uh, <laughs> like, like the, why the Sondheim thing? Yeah. It's like, it's like, it just doesn't even make sense why they would spend so much money to do that scene. For it to be in a tiny box in the credits, <laughs> you know, like does the does the does the disc come with the full scene, like in full screen? It, it, it actually does, I think. Okay. I'm oh, sure thank, goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. You can watch it like, on YouTube. Going, the proper. Yeah. What's happening there? You know, I'm uh, I'm happy they did it because it's it's uh, was a great a great moment in cinema history when that. I mean, to follow up, they could have dropped the mic with that, you know, Aunt Lucy ending, but then to do that, it was just like, <laughs> man, this guy's on. on the, this is why I'm going to go see Wonka. This is how powerful that ending is. I'm going to go see a movie that looks awful because I believe in this filmmaker and I want to go see what he's doing next, even if it's Timothy Chalamet playing Willy Wonka. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet was at the Game Awards. Really? He announced the game of the year. I was so confused by that. Oh. What are they doing with this? Chalamet. I think uh, the, the Game Awards is like, it wants to be embraced by Hollywood so bad, so it's just definitely yeah. actors. Oh. Matthew McConaughey was there, so <laughs> bunch of yeah. Wow. It is an interesting to get back to the endings thing, though. It is interesting to think about nowadays because I am trying to think like what is like the common ending now, like for just a mainstream movie because it's, it's a, it isn't it's Marvel. Yeah, it it it's a little more it's glib. The to it's be a little continued. more like to be. Yeah, continued. that's yeah. Man, I didn't like that about. Well, anyway, but. Uh, it's ne- it's never you don't see movies with this kind of sincerity. I think that's what I'm getting at totally. nowadays. Is is it's that was what was kind of nice about um, Top Gun Maverick. Also, I'm not saying Top Gun Maverick is imp- as impactful as It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life, but it was like nice to see a movie that was like so unabashedly like you know like you know thank you for saving my life. The two guys. I mean, it's, it was so like uplifting and nice. Um, I think there's there's a certain I think the pendulum may be swinging the other way, but I think for a certain period, there's a, a lot of people look down on that kind of sincerity and look down on that idea of like having an ending or an ending where like two people kiss and the camera pushes in, you know, like I'm not saying every movie has to end this way. In fact, it would be nauseating if they did. Um, but I do, it is something I kind of uh, uh, miss someone going for that kind of like emotional bombast. I mean, that's, that's a, uh, I mean, it's hard to pull off. Uh, just, what? Just, this is, just, I, yeah, I mean, th- this is what I'm getting at. I'm looking at the most uplifting movies of all time. Top 25. <laughs> uh-huh. At the bottom of this list is everything everywhere all at once. And that is exactly what I'm talking about. Where yeah, I'm that's like, emotional <laughs> bombast that I don't really like. Yeah, I mean, like, it is like, uplifting. Is, it's, go ahead. Sorry. It's just, it's like totally different than what this movie is doing. I mean, it's a wonderful Actually, life is that number two on the list. Here, here, that's an interesting thing I thought about. It's about everything everywhere. It's actually not very unlike it's a wonderful life. It actually is in many ways trying to say 
something very similar. In fact, the movies are yep. thematically perfectly in line. And mm-hmm. it, that was what annoyed me about the movie is like people only appreciate that kind of sincerity and that kind of um, it's like the only way you can show it in a movie is to lard it in action movie, you know, Kung Fu and bad comedy and all this annoying stuff. When I, to me, that movie was so great when it was just about like a woman appreciating. I mean, Ki Hui Kwan is like Donna Reed. I mean, he is, he's like the, like the unabashedly kind hearted giving spouse. Who's like, will be there no matter what, basically. And she goes, Oh my God, like I overlooked this guy. It is like saying the same thing, but it's like, you know, and then if I, I have to watch a guy shove a thing up his ass, like it's just like, it's, it was so, the movie was so annoying and long. And it's like, imagine it's a wonderful life, but then you had to go on these, you know, have Jimmy Stewart, you know, having a kung fu fight with a bunch of people would be so obnoxious. Um, I mean, actually, maybe that would have been awesome. Maybe I'm pitching something that would have been cool. I mean, it would have been funny because it's Jimmy Stewart, but um, I don't know. It's, 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 that was something that was interesting. It's like, it should work. And it was, it was tapping into those things that I like in movies, but I mean, I think it doesn't. I think it was, cl- yeah, it was close. It was close, but you're right that I hadn't even put it together, but I think, I think actually the movie is literally almost, <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Like it's, it's very, very touching on very similar themes. That's there, what I'm, oh. but that's what I'm getting at. That's like why I wanted to bring this up is cause I'm like, <laughs> that's what makes this movie legendary. You know? Yeah. The modern version of this this movie uh, doesn't hit as good. Yeah, you know, it's like we need to get back to knowing how to do a good ending, right? Um, and and I'm not saying that everything everywhere is a bad movie. As a matter of fact, I'm happy it has the ending it does. You know, I would be kind of confused if it didn't, right? It would be <laughs> yeah. a complete a, a a movie devoid of any content. Uh, of anything of value to me if it didn't have if it didn't even make an attempt right um and so i just i don't know like i think it's interesting to look at this film and be like wow it's it's um it does like this triumphant joy in a way that doesn't feel cheesy it's totally earned if you've got that far in the movie uh it's kind of like dragged you through the mud for a little bit and uh you're the audience is like so overwhelmed and excited with jimmy stewart running through the streets saying merry christmas right like he's just like like it's kind of like an overwhelming thing you know when you watch it um i i want to see um i want to see happy endings uh that aren't just to throw away for audience satisfaction and engagement. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, like I, I, I want to see, and to everything ever is credit. Like it does try to do something unique, even though it's hitting on the same themes. Um, but like, I want to see some home run happy endings. And, mm. uh, it's I, why I, I've been brainwashed by Juzo to believe Spielberg is, is the best. And and by the way, Spielberg capable Spielberg is a great uh test case for this because there's also you can watch some Spielberg movies where he really is going for a sentimental ending or, or a sentimental feeling <laughs> and he totally whiffs it or it's like 
Yeah, like Ready Player One, which is like enjoyable, but it ends. I'm like, is this happy? Like, I'm not really, I'm not buying this happy ending at all. Um, and then you watch E.T. and you've got tears pouring out of your face for like 20 minutes, you know. So it's, you know. And then the other thing about him is he has great downbeat endings. I mean, there's like West Side Story. Like, that's an incredibly powerful uh, way to mm, end true, movie. Yeah. I was yeah. actually thinking one of the one of the best old fashioned endings I've seen recently. Um, not not the type of movie I would normally shout out like this, but I thought Avengers Endgame. I was I loved the fact that that movie had this kind of like beautiful, hopeful ending. Uh, the the flashback with Captain America and that the old music. I thought that was like I I, I absolutely loved that. At least when I saw it in the theater. Um, I haven't seen it since, but I thought that was great. I think the movie is great, and it has a lot of payoffs. But it also has like eight endings. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of like yeah. Um, I think uh, I think the. I mean, we just watched Return of the King. I think Return of the King has those uh, forty endings. It's got a ton of endings, but it it's weird how the endings kind of have this funnel effect, mm-hmm. uh, kind of down to your emotion, uh, where each one's like a payoff. Like the battle's over. The guys are back together. Like it's like funneling back to like the beginning of the trilogy. And then it gets back. It gets like really personal towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think but, it earns it. I mean, I'm not dissing it, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was going to say no blaspheming that ending because that is one that, it's, that still is shocking. I, I have, I, I mean, I saw it 12 years ago. I still have the memory of seeing that in the theater, the longest movie I've ever seen in the theater <laughs> and four and a half hours. And when my, when they started gang together, my friend, who also is named Cameron, they're all laughing, and then Cameron starts laughing, and then all of my friends start. I think we probably they all just probably ruined the movie for everyone, but we were just like overjoyed at that the reunion in the hospital or whatever's going on there. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say one movie that has kind of an uncharacteristically happy ending for the director um is licorice pizza which literally has the classic they almost they they kiss and and it zooms in you know <laughs> it does it does and then that probably puts off yeah it's a little <laughs> off-putting to some people because of the age gap but <laughs> i think it's i think it's nice i i can't say i'm that bothered by it that is true that's a very yeah that's a very nice it's funny how anderson's pulling out these kind of romantic endings late in his career it's very very funny um <laughs> Another guy we should get back into. Passover Boogie Nights, get into Magnolia. I think I think that would be great. Um, gosh, anything else? I think that's a wrap. Final thoughts, Cameron? No, I um, I just love, I adore this movie. I think it's like, every time I watch it, it, you know, shoots up to being one of my favorite of all time. So um, I think if you haven't seen it, Go watch it. It's free on Amazon right now. So no reason, no excuse. It is. I will say it's a little long for like an older movie yeah. too. Mm-hmm. It's like two hours, 10, two hours, 15. Um, but, you know, it goes by fast. And it's I not really gone think with the wind. It's not gone. Yeah, with it's wind. not gone oh, with the wind. Yeah, God. exactly. Yeah. Which. Oh, I have one more question to ask you, Isaac. Speaking of gone with the wind. There are two versions of this movie on Amazon right now. Oh yeah. There's a black and white version and a color version. Which which version did you see, <laughs> Isaac? Which version I, did I you watch? I watched the color version. Oh uh, oh. Uh, I've definitely uh. seen the black and white version, and I was like, 
I'll just watch the color one. And I think, especially the scenes with the snow and the bridge, I was like, I could have used the black and white at this point. So, um, no, it just, it kind of feels like the film is still in black and white, even though it's in color. It's kind of confusing. I think it's like. Colorization looks horrible. I I think it's terrible. Yeah, Um, I think it's like colorized after the fact. I don't know how. Oh, yeah. No, it's not a real color. You know, it's not like oh, a proper it, color. It's they they were doing it way after. Yeah, yeah. They I guess they released the first colorized edition in 1986. So, so like <laughs> the significant. Per, I mean, like Jimmy Stewart went to Congress about this. Like he he was very upset about. Oh right. Doing it. But uh, they yeah him and Frank Capra is on his deathbed. He's like, can you please not do this to my movie? Uh, Peter Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I, where are you at? Pretty, Peter yeah. Jackson, fix it. No, <laughs> I'm Peter looking Jackson, at it now. Don't touch it. Because I've I've never watched the colorized version, obviously, because I'm not a philistine. Um, I and honestly, it looks kind of like I don't like the I don't like the colors. Like it has like like a weird cast. It's like very no, warm throughout no, the whole it's movie. Terrible. It's horrible. It's it's, it's all right. All it right. Should be, it should it should be stricken from like they they should not. I know they have the rights to do it, but I mean like on a moral level. Is a great um, film. A lot of filmmakers they testified before Congress about this because they're like, you should not have the ability to edit this my own work. Peter Jackson, he's making his own films. I what I I still think I'm not crazy about any kind of colorization like at all. Removal of grain. I also feel this way, but um, but certainly when it's people doing it without the consent of the filmmaker, it's just I don't know. To me, it's pretty unacceptable. Um, but whatever. I can't tell, you know, the viewer. Isaac can do whatever you want, you know. I'm, I'm not your, your It didn't father. affect my viewing experience, so <laughs> yeah, just yeah, calm you, you, down. You here, enjoyed guys. the movie, so, you know, I'm happy, but um, <laughs> it's it's evil. Um. <laughs> All right, well, um, on that note, I don't have anything else. Um, Isaac, anything, anything more to say about uh, this wonderful, wonderful movie? Um, Find find some time to appreciate life this holiday. You know, yeah. I think it's true. Uh, if you can't do it, watch this movie, and then you'll maybe be able to think about it and find time. <laughs> I will say, I mean, I this is a Monday night. My week started off pretty rough, and I was thinking about this movie in the back of my head, and I was like, mm. "It's okay, you know, I'm I'm gonna be fine. Let's just keep doing this, and we're almost <laughs> to the holidays." So, um, yeah. No, it's it's you got to see it. I'm glad it's in our uh, library of episodes. Um, it definitely belongs in the canon, and um, you know, give it, give it a chance. This is one you've you've got to see uh, at least at least once in your life. You know, um, and you'll probably want to see it again in two to five years after watching it the first time. So, yeah, yeah, wonderful movie. I think it really. Uh... I don't know. It, it's just a movie that resonates a lot with me in my own life and thinking about, I mean, I was just thinking the other day about, um, I don't know. I think, I think, I don't know. You get older, you start to go, I, I was thinking about all the movies I watched and thinking about how it's kind of, uh, like, what is the point of watching all these movies? Is this, is this completely a waste of my time? You know? And, um, it was making me think about close encounters, how that movie is like, am I just building the mashed potato mountain on my plate? for 10 years and then it's like well, what what is it really like what am i building this to what do i really want and i think the thought i had about it 
watching movies was like, Hey, all these people I've connected to in my life, all the people in my life who have, uh, I've gone to know, including the two of you. I mean, the reason I became friends with cameras because we talked about a movie, you know, and there's so many friends I have now because of, uh, the world of movies. I was like, Hey, maybe that's, maybe that's enough. Maybe it's not like, it doesn't have to be all research for me making a movie or something, which even, you know, you'd make, you, I could make a movie and make a billion dollars. And even that you'd feel still unsatisfied, you know? And I think that this movie really captures that kind of feeling of, um, you know, your whole life is about the perspective you approach it with and it sounds sentimental but i think i think it really is true because sometimes i just like listen to a piece of music i'm like wow life is so beautiful you know and it's like a different piece of music i'm like wow life sucks you know it's like nothing's changed i'm on the same bus you know on going somewhere to the same place um but it's all about that sort of perspective and um gosh it's just uh yeah something is beautifully shown in uh, in this film Mm. Well, well said, boys. Well said. Um, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Again, we we wish you a Merry Christmas. I don't know if we will have an episode next Tuesday. This might be the last episode of 2023, unless I can get my act together. Uh, but Cameron will be traveling out and about. Um, my work is insane. I don't know what's going on, but they wanted to move on Christmas or something. <laughs> so I'm driving trucks and things like that, doing physical labor. Um, yeah, it's a busy season. If we don't get around to another episode next Tuesday, we hope you enjoy all of the holidays. Uh, please go to our Patreon or our Instagram for updates. If you need to get a hold of us, you can message us on either of those platforms as well. And uh, we just we thank you for listening to this episode, and we will catch you maybe in the new year. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.